You are listening to the October 2023 edition of The Postal Record, the magazine for the National Association of Letter Carriers. I'm NALC President Brian Renfro, and this is my president's message in the October 2023 postal record entitled, Yes, It's Better in a Union. I've heard this question posed repeatedly lately. Is it really better in a union? It absolutely is. As a son of a letter carrier growing up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I didn't know any other way. Even in Mississippi, which isn't known for its union density, I was aware of how the union affected my family. From a young age, I heard stories about letter carriers and understood what the union had done for my dad's job. These stories have stayed with me and given me a sense of purpose, as I'm sure similar stories have for many of our members. NALC was formed in 1889, and it soon fought and eventually won a Supreme Court case in 1893 that forced the Postal Service to adhere to an eight-hour workday. Prior to that case, carriers worked 10 to 16-hour days, six days a week. Independent state associations flocked to join NALC following this tremendous victory that set the stage for nationwide implementation of the eight-hour workday and overtime pay for workers in general. Every day I marvel at the solidarity displayed in our union. As I travel the country to speak to our members about the challenges we face and how we must navigate each one, I'm humbled by the compassion, support, and encouragement expressed by our members. As we continue negotiations on a new collective bargaining agreement that I feel confident will reward our members, I feel my brothers and sisters rallying behind our efforts. Regardless of any noise or vitriol from anyone seeking to fracture our union, the strength, perseverance, and spirit of solidarity of our membership continues to shine. Nearly 95% of letter carriers voluntarily join our great union. This is an anomaly in the labor movement that most unions can only dream of replicating. 60 national unions, representing more than 12.5 million workers in the public and private sectors, are affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Our brothers and sisters do not have this level of success in organizing. Organizing is just one of the strengths of our union that allows us to directly contribute to the overall advancement of the United States labor movement. When I took office last December, I became the youngest president in the labor movement and among the youngest ever from the South which is fertile ground for labor. This was my motivating factor in joining the AFL-CIO's Committee on Organizing. Labor learns from one another, and we show up for one another for the good and the bad. We certainly have a lot to share with our brothers and sisters, which is why one of our priorities is paying our success forward, but we also have a lot to learn. Last month, the AFL-CIO held its first Labor State of the Union event where AFL-CIO President Liz Schuler spoke passionately about the rise in union favorability and the power that's been on display recently. Public support for unions has never been higher. This is especially true for those under 30 who are the future of the labor movement. On the heels of this event, NALC was proud to join thousands of other union members to descend on Washington to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. For such a significant event, without the presence of labor that day, turnout would have been underwhelming. Labor always rises to the occasion to fill the gaps and to be the driving force for change. This feels especially true right now. This summer, as NALC members have been holding rallies to bring attention to the surge in robberies and assaults against our members, we have seen other union members joining us. Meanwhile, our members are joining picket lines around the country, and we aren't alone.
As this publication was going to print, affiliates of the AFL-CIO were on the offensive in boosting support for our brothers and sisters at the United Auto Workers, who have begun a strike against Detroit automakers. Striking workers from the Riders Guild of America have been publicly supported by the members of the Screen Actors Guild, who are also on strike and in many cases are refusing to tow the business-as-usual appearances. Striking Unite Here hotel workers in California felt solidarity when professional athletes, now part of the AFL-CIO Sports Council, stepped in to refuse the use of a specific hotel. Starbucks workers are organizing. Collaboration and solidarity have never been more palpable. The labor movement is flexing its strength. Even though our union is busy and focused, we will and we must make time to ensure all of our brothers and sisters are successful. A win for any worker is a win for all of us. As I travel and meet with our members, two questions inevitably come up. How is collective bargaining going and how are you doing? Collective bargaining is going well. During negotiations, there always is eagerness and anticipation among our members. It's natural. I felt it as a rank-and-file member, a branch and state leader, a headquarters staffer, an officer serving as chief spokesperson in two rounds of negotiations, and now as president. A lot of work has been done on countless issues, and I continue to engage constantly with our counterparts at the Postal Service. Our goal as we enter contract negotiations was to secure an agreement that recognizes the immense changes since our last contract and that rewards carriers now and in the future. I am grateful for our members who make their voices heard. I hear your concerns and can promise you that we are committed to doing our best for you and will present a contract to our members for ratification only if it meets our goals and appropriately rewards letter carriers. I sometimes hear members tell other members to be patient with collective bargaining. I don't tell members that because I'm not patient with it. That said, it's a simple fact that historically the process takes time. We have the second largest bargaining unit in the country under a single collective bargaining agreement. There is a lot at stake for the future, both of NALC members and the Postal Service. While I remain confident in our chances of reaching a negotiated agreement with USPS, we are prepared to go forward in the interest arbitration process if that's what it takes to achieve an agreement that meets our needs. As of the time of writing this message in mid-September, we have several key issues where we have yet to reach agreement. We've made progress on those issues in recent weeks. Even as we move forward with scheduling interest arbitration proceedings, we will continue to negotiate with our counterparts as long as there is opportunity to reach an agreement. Regardless of which way we ultimately reach a new contract, I am confident it will be one that rewards our members and makes significant progress in key areas. On the second question, I am healthy and well. I feel great. I'm energized by the outpouring of support from our members. Everywhere I go, our members share inspirational stories with me about their experiences overcoming adversity of all kinds. In many ways, they remind me of much of our union's history of achievement in the face of difficult circumstances. Support for one another is a clear demonstration of the solidarity that is a foundational element of our union's success. It's what paves the way for us to win, as we have for 134 years, and will continue to do for years to come by empowering ourselves by standing together. On page four is news from Washington. Taubin Day awaits Senate action on PRC nominations. On September 7th, President Biden announced his intent to re-nominate Robert Taub to the Postal Regulatory Commission, PRC. The following week, on September 11th, the president announced his intent to nominate Thomas Day to serve as a commissioner. 
The PRC currently has five commissioners, who are nominated by the president for six-year terms and confirmed by the Senate. Taub is a two-time appointee to the commission following unanimous confirmations by the Senate in 2011 and 2016. His current term expired on October 22, 2022, and he is serving in a holdover year until October 22, 2023. Mark Acton, the current vice chairman of the commission, who has served on the PRC since 2006, is also serving in a holdover year that expires on October 22nd. If confirmed, Day would replace Acton on the PRC. The PRC is an independent agency that exercises regulatory oversight over the Postal Service. Its responsibilities include preventing anti-competitive practices, promoting accountability, adjudicating complaints, setting postal rates, and helping oversee delivery service standards. PRC nominees must be advanced by the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, HSGAC, and then approved by the full Senate. On September 7th, the HSGAC held a hearing to consider Taub's renomination. At the hearing, HSGAC Chairman Gary Peters, Democrat, Michigan, thanked Taub for his 40 years of public service and emphasized the importance of the PRC's role in ensuring transparency and accountability in USPS for the benefit of all Americans. Senator Peters remarked that, Robust oversight is especially important as the Postal Service continues to implement the Postal Service Reform Act passed last year and makes other plans that could impact Americans. In his testimony, Taub cited his role as the key mission of why the Postal Regulatory Commission exists and was created, and elaborated on how he intends to support the PRC's efforts in meeting the challenges facing today's Postal Service. He further pledged to work with all postal stakeholders in his role as commissioner. Referencing the PRC's inquiry into the Postal Service's Delivering for America plan and its impact on costs, Taub expressed his position that this is not the time for the commission to think big thoughts or step back. We've got to be using our authorities, recognizing we're the regulator, not the operator, to ensure the American public has transparency and accountability. In response to Senator James Lankford's Republican Oklahoma questions about the financial challenges the Postal Service is navigating and how the increase in package handling could have a positive effect on revenue, Taub detailed how the Delivering for America plan seeks to accommodate package handling on a larger scale and the initial costs associated with that transformation. At the hearing, Republican and Democratic members of the committee shared concerns affecting their constituents, such as suspended and closed post offices, mail delivery issues, affordability, and the responsiveness of the Postal Service to the issues to meet the demands of public interest. Taub recognized service oversight of USPS as one of the most critical tasks and responsibilities of the PRC and referenced steps the agency has taken to ensure that the Postal Service complies with recommendations for corrective actions to meet service standards, including aspects of last year's Postal Service Reform Act. Taub's testimony made clear that he recognizes the responsibilities of the PRC in stabilizing mail delivery and modernizing the Postal Service to provide affordable, world-class service. The fact is, for all the challenges the Postal Service faces, it still plays a vital role in our economy, our society, and how Americans across this land communicate, he said in his opening remarks. The renomination of Taub to the PRC will help ensure that the Delivering for America plan is executed efficiently and in a way that accomplishes its intended goals. To learn more about the letter carrier's involvement with the Delivering for America plan, 
see the August issue of the Postal Record. On September 12th, the committee voted 12-0 to 0 to advance Taub's nomination. He now awaits consideration in the full Senate. At press time, HSGAC had not yet considered Day's nomination. Day retired from the Postal Service in 2019 after serving in multiple senior roles, including Vice President of Engineering, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Senior Vice President of Intelligent Mail, and Chief Sustainability Officer. Following his retirement from the Postal Service, Day worked at the International Post Corporation in Brussels. He is an Army veteran and a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. NALC will keep letter carriers updated as Taub and Day move through the nomination process. NALC participates in rally to repeal WEP and GPO. On September 13th, NALC participated in a rally on Capitol grounds in Washington, D.C. to repeal the Windfall Elimination Provision, WEP, and Government Pension Offset, GPO. The event, organized by the National WEP GPO Repeal Task Force, focused on raising awareness and gaining support in Congress for the Social Security Fairness Act, H.R. 82-S597, and legislation that would repeal the WEP and GPO. Millions of federal employees, including letter carriers, are affected by the WEP and GPO, which are parts of Social Security law that unfairly reduce or sometimes eliminate the Social Security benefits of federal annuitants. NALC Director of Retired Members Dan Toth spoke at at the rally alongside other labor leaders, including American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten, American Postal Workers Union Legislative and Political Director Judy Beard, International Association of Firefighters President Ed Kelly, and American Federation of Government Employees National President Everett Kelly. Local NALC members, NALC headquarters staff, and people affected by the WEP and GPO from various industries attended the event. In the 118th Congress, H.R. 82 once again has broad bipartisan support with 292 co-sponsors in the House. Under House rules, when a bill reaches 290 co-sponsors, it can go to the House floor for a vote after 30 days if the Committee of Jurisdiction does not act. The House Committee on Ways and Means, led by Chairman Jason Smith, Republican Missouri, is the Committee of Jurisdiction for the bill. Even though the bill has exceeded 290 co-sponsors, it is unlikely that House leaders will bypass the committee process and call for a floor vote. NALC is committed to moving this bill forward and increasing support to finally repeal the WEP and GPO. Please visit NALC.org action to check whether your representative is a co-sponsor of the bill and, if not, ask them to support H.R. 82. On page six is, NALC declares enough is enough. Letter carriers are taking action. Cincinnati, Ohio letter carrier Taylor Witt told a crowd of co-workers, supporters, and journalists that in the year and a half of her short career as a letter carrier, she's been assaulted on the job not once, but twice. The first time was when the Branch 43 member tried to help in a domestic incident while delivering the mail. I thought, this will never happen again, she said, downplaying the event as a one-time thing. But nine months later, Wit was robbed at gunpoint. He saw me, He came after me. He attacked me and grabbed me by the neck and threw me into some trash cans, threw me out into the street, she said. While she refuses to quit the job she's passionate about, she's been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I now have PTSD, Witt said, and I thought that was something only reserved for veterans, people who aren't me. I didn't think it would ever be me.
Witt told her story at a local NELC rally on August 30th, held to highlight the surge in criminal attacks on letter carriers that is occurring not just in Cincinnati, but nationwide. We've had 17 assaults or armed robberies in Cincinnati since January of 2022, so it's right about one a month, Cincinnati Branch 43 President Ted Thompson said. The emotion that comes about is outrage. While that number is solely for the Cincinnati area, communities throughout the country have seen a similar marked increase in thefts and assaults in the same time period. Letter carriers at the rally expressed their anger and their determination to see an end to the assaults and robberies by chanting, Enough is enough. They said they had been left to defend themselves and demanded that the Postal Service do more to protect them and that prosecutors aggressively prosecute these crimes, both to hold criminals accountable and to deter future attacks. This increase in violence should come with increased protection, NLC President Brian L. Renfro told those gathered at the rally. Lately, it feels like we only have each other. Since 2020, only 14% of crimes against letter carriers have been prosecuted federally, he said. 14%. Let that sink in. It's appalling and out of control. This should not be, and we should not let it be. Something has to change. We've got solutions technology-wise to make the ways we access mail safer. We also want to increase those prosecution rates, he said. The Cincinnati rally followed a similar one held in Chicago on August 8th. We have over 90 reported incidents where letter carriers have been robbed and or assaulted, Branch 11 President Elise Foster told the Assemble Group. This is too many. Today it is open season on the letter carriers and it is uncalled for. It is unnecessary and action needs to be taken immediately, Illinois State Association President Louis Rivas said. The rallies are one part of NAOC's effort to get out a multifaceted message to residents to alert authorities if they see anything worrisome and to preserve evidence, such as doorbell or other surveillance videos, for use by investigators, to their representatives to be aware of the need for solutions, to the Postal Service to better protect letter carriers on their routes, and to federal prosecutors to take these cases and apply the more harsh federal penalties that local prosecutors do not have available. Another way NALC is getting the message out is through regional TV broadcasts, radio shows, and print articles about the rash of violence nationwide. Bringing the letter carrier perspective to these media reports increases community awareness of the issue and helps strengthen NALC's call for solutions. That is especially so because of the widespread public support for letter carriers, who in poll after poll have for years topped the list of the most trusted and highly regarded federal employees. Here are a few recent examples. After mail was stolen from a letter carrier's vehicle, Baltimore, Maryland Branch 176 President Tony Vaughn told the local ABC affiliate on its July 31st broadcast, We're out in the community. We're part of the community. We take pride and sometimes personal ownership of these routes. We see kids grow up and meet neighbors, and the neighbors look out for us. Vaughn explained that letter carriers need neighbors and prosecutors to look out for them now more than ever. It is a federal offense, and we want arrests and prosecutions, he said. In Concord, North Carolina, when six people were charged with robbing a letter carrier to get access to residents' checks, Charlotte Branch 545 President Sylvan Stevens added his letter carrier voice to an August 30th broadcast about the crime. Stevens told the local Fox affiliate, Before we were walking around freely, doing our job and paying attention to what's going on. Now we're watching over our shoulder, worried that someone might roll up on us. Region 11 Regional Administration Assistant Mike Brim told the CBS affiliate in Toledo, Ohio on August 6 that when letter carriers are on their routes, people walk up to you all the time to hand you a letter, to say hello, to ask if you delivered something to their house. 
and now you have to worry about what their motive is when they're coming up to you. It used to be that everyone in the neighborhood knew the letter carrier, and if you messed with the letter carrier, the whole neighborhood had your back. President Renfro and others at NELC headquarters have been working with media outlets on news reports about the dangers confronting letter carriers and our demand that they be stopped. Some of those reports have been disseminated while others are currently being prepared for broadcast or publication. Legislators also are lending their voices to call for solutions, with members of Congress speaking at both the Chicago and Cincinnati rallies. NELC is working with lawmakers who are drafting bills aimed to provide potential solutions for the epidemic, though none have been unveiled yet. Nearly every day, I hear about another horrific assault against one of our members, President Renfro said. Every time, I am heartbroken for our brothers and sisters who are victims and for their loved ones. But even more than that, I am angry. Even though letter carriers are federal employees and crimes against letter carriers performing their duties are federal crimes, recent attacks have frequently been prosecuted by local authorities, watering down sentences to as little as six months, such as for the man who recently attacked Wit in the second of the two incidents. That's a far cry from the sentences handed down to a trio of thieves who robbed a carrier in South Carolina on March 17, 2022. Two received five-year sentences, and the other got a seven-year sentence from a federal judge on August 23rd. It takes a joint investigation among the Postal Inspection Service, the Attorney General, and a local police force to hand over the case to federal prosecutors. That, combined with the low number of such cases being prosecuted in the first place, leaves much to be desired in terms of deterring potential lawbreakers who aim to attack letter carriers. When these crimes are not prosecuted, it sends a message to criminals that they can get away with robbing a letter carrier, President Renfro said. I am furious that our members continue to be targeted and harmed with no end in sight, he said. I've said many times that there is no single solution to this disturbing problem, but more can be and must be done, and it must be done immediately. Every employer has a duty and obligation to protect its employees. On the job, the Postal Inspection Service is not protecting us, and the U.S. Department of Justice is not doing its job prosecuting these crimes. Word is clearly out among criminals on the street, leaving letter carriers unfairly forced to defend themselves. These conditions that once seemed unimaginable are the norm now. It is sickening, and it is wrong, he added. In addition to federal prosecution, President Renfro has called on the USPS Inspection Service to increase its effort at preventing these violent attacks before they occur. Postal inspectors and postal police officers work diligently to investigate and prevent instances of violence against our employees, he said. And yet, current methods of prevention clearly are not working. The situation is worsening. He called on the Inspection Service's leaders to do more. Times have drastically changed, and methods for protecting our members while we do our jobs must reflect the current circumstances. Renfro called on local branches to hold rallies like the ones in Chicago and Cincinnati, and more rallies were being planned as this issue of the magazine was being prepared. Events like these make a difference and bring awareness to this growing problem. I encourage all NELC branches, especially in areas that are experiencing an uptick in crime, to mobilize and plan similar events. When we all come out with a unified message, we are heard, President Renfro said. Branch leaders are encouraged to contact their national business agents' offices for information and material to help organize a rally or to contact the media to amplify our message to their communities. We will not stand by and wait, Renfro said. We demand respect and protection. We cannot allow the Postal Inspection Service and the Department of Justice to continue to fail our members. We demand that they fulfill their responsibilities and stop these crimes. Twice-assaulted Taylor Witt of Cincinnati knows that communities want to support their letter carriers because she said she's seen the way residents have supported her. But for her and the other letter carriers who have become and will become victims of violent crime, more needs to be done. I feel like there is awareness out there. 
Everybody knows, she said. Enough is enough. On page 10 is Maui wildfires destroy letter carriers' homes. The tragic wildfire that struck Lahaina on the island of Maui in Hawaii on August 8th killed hundreds of people, with dozens more still unaccounted for, and destroyed much of the historic town. No postal employees were among the dead, USPS reported, but seven lost their homes, including three letter carriers. Several carriers narrowly escaped the flames. The downtown post office in Lahaina was destroyed. The fires in Lahaina and several other parts of Hawaii spread out of control due to drought conditions combined with high winds from a nearby hurricane, as well as potential human error. John Kim, a letter carrier in Lahaina for 28 years, didn't see a fire that day, only the wind. The winds were howling, branches were falling, he said. Kim, a member of the Lahaina Branch 5306, heard on the news that morning some fires had popped up, but that they had been extinguished. He went to work like any other day and didn't see any fire or smoke. But more fires were spreading, and his supervisor called him back to the office from his route in the afternoon. That evening, he clocked out and tried to go home, but was turned away by authorities. His neighborhood had been struck by the fire, and he wasn't allowed in. I ended up going to the local beach park because I couldn't get back home, he said, and spent the night at a shopping area. Kim soon learned that his home and most of his route had been destroyed by the massive fire. His wife was not home at the time and was uninjured. A month later, authorities still hadn't let him in the affected area because of the ongoing recovery of bodies and the presence of toxic materials left by the fire. I haven't seen my place up close, Kim said. Branch 5306 President Josh Doer said the carriers of Lahaina are recovering with the help of the NALC Disaster Relief Foundation and their fellow NALC members across the country. The outreach has been absolutely incredible, he said. It's been an eye-opening experience to realize what a vast network of caring people we are a part of. Dora wasn't in town the day of the wildfire, but he received some urgent messages from carriers about the blaze. He called the postmaster at one carrier station and told him to call the carriers back to the office from their routes because their lives were in danger from the fire and smoke. Wildfires have been frequent over the past few years in the drought-stricken Hawaiian islands, Dower said, and residents have gotten used to them, so they might not have noticed how dangerous this fire was until it was too late. It was kind of like the boy who cried wolf, he said. We've had so many fires in the past five years. While most of the burned-out areas remain closed, mail delivery continues in the rest of Lahaina, providing a critical link to the outside world for people whose power and internet service were cut off for a while. I'm delivering their medications, Dower said. I'm delivering their newspaper so they know what's going on. It's a great reminder of how important we are. Every year, nature brings reminders of how letter carriers help each other as well as their customers in the wake of natural disasters like the Lahaina Fire. The NALC Disaster Relief Foundation, DRF, stands ready to help. DRF officers and directors quickly identify carriers who are affected by disasters and give them aid as soon as possible. The aid might include supplies such as water, food, clothing, and postal uniform items. Working closely with local branch leaders, DRF helps members whose homes are uninhabitable find temporary housing and transportation, as well as apply for DRF grants. This time was no different. President of the Disaster Relief Foundation, Christina Vela Davidson, was immediately on the phone with Doer Honolulu Branch 860 President Howard Comine and Hawaii State Association President Alvin Matsumura, 
collecting names and phone numbers to help with emergency funds for members in need and to check on all of the members. NALC created the DRF in 2018 to ease the process of getting help to members affected by disasters. Numerous branches had asked NALC to establish a mechanism that would facilitate getting donations, grants, and other assistance to carriers. As the year's end approaches, letter carriers might consider donating to DRF, NALC President Brian L. Renfro said. The foundation is ready to provide help for our affected brothers and sisters, Renfro said, but it can't do its job without our support. The foundation provides aid in the form of supplies or grants, and it maintains a trained volunteer network to respond quickly to disasters. Grants are provided for property damage sustained to a primary residence, automobile, or personal property from causes such as hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes, or severe storms, and are provided only to NALC members. Thanks again to those who have donated, Davidson said. It has helped our members who have received assistance get back on their feet. Donations can be sent to NALC Disaster Relief Foundation, 100 Indiana Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20001-2144, or made by credit card at nalc.org slash nrdfdonate. The foundation is a 501c3 organization. Contributions to the DRF may be tax-deductible. It is recommended that you consult your tax advisor. Donations go directly to individual carriers or to branches needing assistance. No administrative costs are deducted. Donations given before November 5th will be recognized in the December issue of the Postal Record. Members do not have to wait for emergency relief or insurance claims to be settled to apply. Applications must be received within 120 days from the date of the natural disaster unless the applicant can provide sufficient reasons for a delay. The applications for a relief grant is on the Foundation's website, nalc.org disaster. If you have not donated yet, please find it in your heart to help, to help your fellow sisters and brothers affected by a national disaster. You never know when it might be you who needs some help, Davidson said. Let's all donate to the Disaster Relief Foundation now so that it can be ready when disaster strikes, Brian Renfro said. Hi, it's Michelle McQuality, Special Assistant to the President, and I'll be reading Get Connected, Stay Connected, found on page 10 of the October Postal Record. If you are new to NALC, you might not be aware of all the ways NALC connects with members. From podcasts and publications to websites and social media, this union has continually developed the tools to put the most up-to-date information and resources into the hands of our members. Besides the postal record, NALC has a variety of ways it interacts with members and provides them with resources and important information. You are the current resident podcast. NALC has recently relaunched our informational podcast called You Are the Current Resident. Podcasts are a popular form of information and entertainment, and many NALC members are podcast listeners on a variety of topics. You Are the Current Resident is an informational in nature, but presented in a light manner in a talk show format. The podcast is hosted by NALC President Brian Renfro and Assistant to the President Ed Morgan. Episodes are recorded in a free-flowing format and may include other resident officers or special guests. The podcast includes a mailbag segment in which President Renfro answers questions from NALC members. 
Future episodes will discuss hot topics and bring in informative guests based on what you want to hear. Be sure to follow You Are the Current Resident wherever you get your podcasts. Social media. If you are on the go, NALC offers a variety of information in quick bite-sized pieces on our social media platforms. Social media posts are a great way for NALC to connect and interact with a large audience of letter carriers and others interested in letter carrier topics. Bright visuals, moving graphics, and lively music draw attention to important details within the post. With educational reels on contract rights and work rules, news on USPS initiatives, member interest stories, legislative events, and community service efforts, NALC Social Media will keep you up to date on all the latest topics. Have something to share? NALC members can send photo or video submissions to social at NALC.org. Be sure to subscribe and follow NALC on Facebook at NALC.national, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at NALC underscore national, on Instagram at Letter Carriers, and on NALC's YouTube channel at Letter Carriers. NALC Member App. Another vital way NALC communicates with members is via the NALC Member App for smartphones and tablets. The app is one of the fastest ways NALC communicates with its members, often sending out push notifications on contractual and other news before it appears anywhere else. The app was developed with the needs of the average member in mind. It contains links to workplace resources, including the National Agreement, the Materials Reference System, CCA resources, and more. It also includes legislative tools, such as a bill tracker, an individualized list of your congressional representatives, and information about the Letter Carrier Political Fund, LCPF. And one of the coolest features, an interactive non-scheduled days, NSD, calendar. The app also contains direct connections to NALC's podcasts and social media platforms. If you haven't already, download the NALC member app from your mobile device's app store. Be sure to allow push notifications to make certain that you are getting any urgent messages affecting letter carriers. NALC Activist The NALC Activist is a local leadership newsletter intended for shop stewards, branch officers, and all local NALC leaders. Newly re-ramped this year and published quarterly, the NALC Activist is designed to provide helpful information on the grievance arbitration process and contractual guidance, branch governance and constitutional rules, leadership approaches, and mentoring tips. From workers' compensation advice to overtime issues, grievance documentation to stress management tips, the NALC Activist is a must for anyone interested in learning about or growing in union leadership. NALC.org. Many questions about how NALC functions and what it offers to its membership can be answered on the NALC website at NALC.org. NALC.org is easy to navigate, open to the public, and offers a more traditional, in-depth approach to information and resources. The front page is designed to give users access to just about anything they might be seeking. The members-only portal allows members to access specific information on topics that may not be available to the general public. Whether it's more about the members' community service activities, more about the ways NALC is working to improve the rights and benefits of letter carriers, 
or just more about NALC. Whatever the campaign, NALC.org can highlight it big and bold on the website. Interacting with our members is vitally important to NALC. No matter which connection method you choose to follow, you are sure to find valuable and interesting information for every stage of your letter carrier career. NALC wants you to get and stay connected. On page 11 is National Wrap Session to be held November 17th through 19th in New Orleans. The 2023 NALC National Conference, or RAP Session, is set for November 17th to the 19th at the Hilton New Orleans Riverside. The meeting will begin with registration and a reception on the afternoon of Friday, November 17th, with workshops on Saturday, November 18th, and the RAP Session on Sunday, November 19th. The RAP Session is scheduled to end at 11 a.m. on Sunday. The National Conference is held in years between the NALC's biennial conventions. Article 3, Section 4B of the NALC Constitution states, The National President shall, once each year except in the year of the National Convention, call a National Conference. This conference shall be voluntarily attended by only state and branch presidents or their designees, with their expenses to be borne by the state association or branch represented. The hotel rate is $249 single-slash-double. For reservations, go to book.passkey.com slash e slash 505-47129 or contact the hotel's reservation department at 800-445-8667 until October 26th. After this date, reservations will be accepted by the hotel based on availability and hotel rate. For more information, go to nlc.org. On page 14 is The Spice of Life. It began on a whim around 15 years ago. Fremont, Nebraska Branch 89 letter carrier Brian Grunke came to take care of a plot of horseradish that his late uncle had planted in his aunt's backyard. The vegetables had just kind of sat there after that, he said. One day, a clerk in Grunke's former station, Greg Miller, gave a jar of his ground horseradish for Grunke to try. I wasn't a big horseradish fan, the carrier said, but I put some in my Bloody Marys that I make, and oh, I fell in love. He soon mentioned his uncle's plot, and Miller came over and asked if he could dig it up. He did so, and Grunke helped and learned. The next year, Grunke, a 30-year letter carrier who serves as Nebraska State Association President and Branch 89 President, got involved with Miller in the process from start to finish. Horseradish, a hearty root vegetable used as a spice and condiment, will grow downward, the carrier said. After the top, called a crown, is cut off, it can be transplanted, and in about five years, it's ready to be dug up with a long, skinny shovel called a tile spade. You get as close to the plant as you can, Grunke said, and then you just kind of pry on it, and you'll hear it pop, and then it'll come out. It'll be the tops. It's like a carrot. Even the leaves on it are very similar. So it grows up like that, but carrots don't grow back the next year. Once you pop it off, it will come back. It propagates itself, basically, is what it does. As a bonus, he adds, horseradish is a crop almost impossible to kill for a lot of people. He and Miller continue to do one harvest per year. You have to dig it up in months that end in R, so September, October, November, December. We always do it in October, he said. Grunke begins by going to his two to three patches or fields to check them out. The carrier tries not to dig up the horseradish more than two or three days before they grind it, and he'll keep the freshly plucked horseradish in the fridge in the meantime to maintain freshness. 
A good-sized horseradish root is about a half-inch diameter, he said. Anything less than that, it's really hard to work with. Before grinding the roots, Grunke will peel them with a potato peeler and put them in water to take some of the dirt off. After it's soaked for a while, then we run it through the grinder, he said. Once Grunke has his own peeled, Miller comes over with his dug-up bounty of horseradish, and the two peel Millers together, clean them up, and cut the tops off. They grind them up in Grunke's garage using a hand grinder that they have to crank by hand, Grunke said. So when we are standing right over the top of it, the fumes, when the oils get released, it's like pepper spray. Our eyes are swollen shut. We're crying. We have to walk out because it's like tear gas. Grunke got an electric grinder for Christmas, which they plan to take on its maiden voyage alongside the old grinder this year. Once they have the roots ground, they put them in vinegar, which helps temper the horseradish's potency. We learned the hard way back when we were hand grinding it, Grunke explained. We dumped it into this big stock pot, and we found out later why our first batches were so hot, because the longer you let it sit without putting vinegar on it, the hotter it gets. Now they do small batches to get it right. It takes three good-sized roots to fill a jar because it is finely ground. We get those big foil lasagna pans, and we just grind four cups. Then we add one cup of vinegar, one cup of water, and then two tablespoons of pickling salt, and that's it, he said noting that they've dabbled with different recipes over the years and modified it into the one they like. People have told them that the hotter and drier it is in your area, the hotter the horseradish. Last year, the weather was really hot, so they put more vinegar in it. It's just a trial and error, Grunke said. The first couple of batches we sample, we do quality control. Once it's soaked for a bit, they stir it up, use a cannon funnel to keep jar rims clean, and ladle the horseradish into straight-sided jelly jars with serving spoons. One of them will tap the jar to make sure it's full, and they seal the lid on by hand. Once we get rolling, it goes pretty quick, Grunke said, and then we divvy it up between the two of us. Grunke tends to refrigerate a few and freeze the rest. They don't sell it and don't plan to. We give it away to those wanting to spice up their lives, Grunke said. I load a bunch of boxes into my car and go spread my Columbus Day cheer. They've got a list that keeps growing as people find out about their hobby, including letter carriers. We know who we've given it to in the past, and that's why we both freeze like 20 jars, in case there's people that call or text. Do you have any more? Grunke said. It's sought after, he added. I mean, you go to the store and you're paying for stuff that's ultra-processed and it's just not as good, but I'm kind of partial. Grunke has a few favorite ways to use his horseradish. I make my own shrimp cocktail. It's just ketchup and horseradish. I do the Bloody Mary, he said. I make creamy horseradish with sour cream for prime rib or steak. Another one, you get smoked salmon and you take a cracker. You put just a little bit of horseradish and then you put the salmon right on top of it and that's like a really good hors d'oeuvre. The pungent vegetable contains many nutrients and antioxidants and has some noted health benefits such as improving digestion and fighting inflammation. It's even known as a superfood. The carrier always tells people that they'd be surprised about horseradish. Not everybody likes it and that's fine. We're not going to force it on anybody. The option is always there if they want to try it, he said. I had a buddy who hates it, and I had steak one night with him and made some of the creamy stuff with the sour cream, and he said, now that I could do. He joked that he's going to need to find some more untended patches if people keep deciding they need more spice in their life. On page 16 is the Veterans Group column for the October issue of the Postal Record, titled, Last Chance to Join the NALC Veterans Group to receive recognition in November magazine. The November issue of the Postal Record will feature the names of the NALC veteran group members. 
If you are a veteran and would like your name to appear in this issue, you must join the NALC Veterans Group. Veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces comprise almost a quarter of the membership of the National Association of Letter Carriers, active NALC members as well as retired members. As of right now, there are more than 19,000 members in the Veterans Group. However, there are thousands of members who are veterans and have not signed up. These veterans traded their military uniforms for letter carrier uniforms, and they continue to serve their communities and this great nation. The creation of the NALC Veterans Group is intended to be something tangible and useful. The NALC Veterans Group is designed to provide NALC members who are military veterans access to the information and tools specific to veterans' rights and benefits within the U.S. Postal Service. It also is intended to give veterans a sense of family and more brother or sisterhood. It seeks to provide all NALC members who are also military veterans active full-time and part-time letter carriers, as well as retired letter carriers, resources, rights, and information, and a sense of camaraderie. NALC has made it easier for all veterans to sign up for the group. You can fill out the form on the website and mail it in, or you can fill out the form shown below in the postal record and mail it in. Or you can go to NALC.org join veterans, which will generate an email. You then will need to enter the information requested, name, address, branch number, military branch, and any affiliated veterans groups. Once the fields are completed, press Send. You will then be entered into the NALC Veterans Group and will soon be sent an NALC Veteran PIN. Don't forget about the Veterans Group memorabilia that is available to purchase if you are a member of the Veterans Group, such as a challenge coin or backpack. These items would make a great gift from a branch to its veterans. Visit NALC.org store or call the supply department at 202-662-2873 to order. All proceeds go towards future Veterans Group projects. Time to contribute to CFC. Letter carriers support their communities every day. On our routes, we provide an essential service and also go out of our way to help people in need. We collect food for the largest one-day food drive in the country each year, and we raise funds and volunteer for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, MDA. And many of us donate funds to charities of our choice the easiest way possible through the Combined Federal Campaign, CFC. Since its inception in 1961, the CFC has raised nearly $8.7 billion for charities and people in need. Federal and postal employees participate in the CFC by choosing from a list of charities to support through automatic deductions from their paychecks. The open enrollment period began on September 1st and ends on January 15th, 2024. The CFC is a convenient way to take care of your community by giving a little each pay period to charities you support, NALC President Brian L. Renfro said. You just sign up and forget about it. All active letter carriers can participate in the CFC through payroll deduction. Participants may use payroll deduction, credit or debit cards, or bank accounts to make recurring donations. They also may make a one-time donation using any of these methods except payroll deduction. Participants can even volunteer for the charity and count the value of the hours. The easiest way to sign up is through the CFC Donor Pledging System at cfcgiving.opm.gov or through the CFC Giving Smartphone app available on the App Store and Google Play. Retired carriers may donate through a deduction from the annuity, by making a one-time or recurring donation using a credit or debit card 
or through an automatic deduction from their bank account using the CFC donor pledging system. Letter carriers can choose from among 2,000-plus nonprofit charitable organizations to support through CFC. By looking at the list and choosing a charity's CFC number, you can donate directly to one or more charities. You can search for charities at cfcgiving.opm.gov offerings. One charity that many carriers choose to support through CFC is MDA, NALC's official charity since 1952. MDA is the world's leading nonprofit health organization sponsoring research into the causes of and effective treatments for neuromuscular diseases. MDA research grants support research projects worldwide as well as camps and activities for children who have any of these diseases. MDA CFC number is 10561. Whichever charities you choose, please sign up to give a little through the CFC, Renfro said. For more information, go to nalc.org CFC. Hankins appointed to headquarters. President Brian L. Renfro appointed Mandy Hankins as an assistant to the president for administrative affairs at headquarters. Hankins began carrying the mail as a casual in West Bloomfield, Michigan in 2003, becoming a part-time flexible the following year. She joined North Oakland County, Michigan Branch 320 and served the branch in a variety of ways, including as a steward, newsletter editor, trustee, Muscular Dystrophy Association coordinator, and vice president. In 2018, Hankins transferred to Mid-Michigan Branch 256 and became president of that branch the following year. Hankins also served NALC as a local business agent and arbitration advocate. She graduated from the NALC Leadership Academy in 2014. On page 18 is Letter Carriers and the Mail on Social Media. Various news stories and interesting anecdotes that celebrate letter carriers and the mail have been appearing on social media. The following are some that have come to the union's attention. If you come across a story you'd like us to consider featuring, send it to social at NALC.org. Utah Carrier Retires After 35 Years Salt Lake City Carrier Scott Vernon is retiring after nearly four decades with the Postal Service. On August 24th, residents threw a block party with live music and plenty of food to celebrate his retirement. Apparently, Vernon brought lots of life and love to his route. Every day we were here, Vernon would get out of his truck and he'd walk up and he'd say hi to you and he'd give you your mail in person and he'd tell you a joke. Resident Spencer Cottom recounted to the local ABC TV affiliate. Vernon certainly brought his love of jokes to the job. Residents even gifted him joke books a few times. I think Scott is just the kind of person we all ought to be. He has done more for other people than most people ever think about. I'm really proud to be his friend, Cottom added. The Branch 111 member credits his strong bonds with his customers to the way in which he delivers the mail. I deliver by name, so I know everybody's name on my route, Vernon said. Vernon said his goal when delivering the mail was to raise people's spirits. He's always smiling, and if you find out more about his personal life, he had a lot of hard things in his life. But he always cheers everybody up, resident Mary Cottom said. Vernon kept that energy even after he left the route for the day. His wife, Shauna, said that every day he has fun and he wakes up happy and I wake up happy. Michigan Carrier Dances for Doorbell Camera Ring cameras are used to capture a lot of things nowadays. Disobedient teenagers, mysterious nighttime silhouettes, and, in Bay City, Michigan, a dancing letter carrier. In March, Branch 187 member Abraham Selinski 
happened to hear a customer's ring camera say, you are being recorded, when he delivered the mail. Zelinsky gave the camera a little dance and wished the owner a great day. He rarely misses a day that he will have a new dance and greeting, the owner Cindy told the local CBS affiliate WNEM-TV. He made my day with his dancing and greeting and beautiful smile. The only time Zelinsky misses a dance is when it's raining, but he never forgets to wish Cindy a wonderful day. Massachusetts Carrier Shovels Walkway for Customer As the blisteringly hot summer comes to an end, it's nice to prepare for the cool chill of fall and winter. Back in February, Chelsea, Massachusetts Carrier, Wanderley Duarte helped protect one of his elderly customers against the elements by stopping on his route to shovel her walkway. I've seen her out there before, and I'm like, oh wow, I should help her, the Boston Branch 34 member told WCVB-TV. Anne, the customer, tried to offer him compensation, but he declined. It's just a courtesy. I wasn't looking for money or anything like that, but she was a very nice lady. Our carriers are out in every neighborhood every day watching out for customers, especially the elderly during this season, Steve Doherty, a USPS spokesperson, said of Duarte's actions. But it's always nice to see when someone is recognized for their actions, as Mr. Duarte is here. California Carrier befriends a frightened dog. A letter carrier in San Francisco has a new friend on his route, Coconut the Samoya Dog. The dog's owner, who posts content of Coconut to Instagram under the handle at Coconut Rice Bear, posted a video on August 8 showcasing Coconut's night and day behavior toward the carrier. When she's inside, all she knows is that letters force their way into the house via the mail slot every afternoon, so she diligently attacks the incoming packages until she realizes they're not fighting back. But when she's outside, she's all wags and smiles toward the carrier. The video currently has 7,000 likes and almost 100 comments. One commenter called Coconut's reactions the duality of mailman. USPS commemorates judicial powerhouse with new stamp. The USPS is unveiling a new forever stamp dedicated to the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg served as a justice for 27 years and is known for making plenty of contributions to justice and gender equality. The stamp will be unveiled at 6 p.m. on October 2nd in a ceremony at the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. that will include a keynote address by USPS Governor Roman Martinez IV. The stamp features a hyper-realistic oil painting of Ginsburg in her usual state, black judicial robe, lace collar, her method of adding femininity to the robes, and black-rimmed glasses. It has a deep teal background and Ginsburg's name in gold lettering. The stamp was designed by Ethel Kessler, an art director for USPS, and will commemorate Ginsburg's contributions to the country for years to come. On page 20 is Retirement Savings Made Simple with NALC's Mutual Benefit Association. When NALC members think of the Mutual Benefit Association, they often think of it solely as a life insurance company. But it's much more than that. One of its main roles is to help letter carriers and their families save for retirement. MBA is one of NALC's best-kept secrets, but every letter carrier needs to know about it, NALC President Brian L. Renfro said. MBA has great financial products designed just for us, that every letter carrier at any stage of their careers should consider for themselves or their loved ones. The U.S. Letter Carriers Mutual Benefit Association, MBA, was created in 1891, only two years after the union was organized, to offer insurance and savings plans to keep letter carriers and their families financially secure in the case of illness or death. Unlike most other financial institutions, the MBA is a not-for-profit organization, which means that every penny it receives goes towards serving its members. 
This allows the MBA to provide better rates on annuities and savings plans than many private companies can. The MBA doesn't have shareholders pushing for profits or agents pushing its products for a commission, NLC Director of Life Insurance Jim Yates said. Yates, a member of Long Island Merge New York Branch 6000, has overseen the MBA since 2018. All of the MBA's financial resources and all of the efforts of the letter carriers and staff who work to make it successful go into serving its members and their financial needs. As with other national officers of the NALC, the Director of Life Insurance and MBA trustees, who also are NALC's trustees, are elected by the members to four-year terms after nominations are taken at the NALC's biennial convention. The trustees are Lawrence D. Brown, Jr., Chairman of Los Angeles Branch 24, Sandra D. Lamel of Detroit Branch 1, and Charles P. Hege of New York Branch 36. Their duty is to keep a close eye on MBA's financial health. There's no other company that has such a close relationship to letter carriers, Yates said. They have meaningful input on what MBA offers, and the trust level is unsurpassed. Letter carriers' jobs and family lives have changed a great deal over the past century, and MBA has expanded and altered the plans it offers to meet members' needs. When the City Carrier Assistant CCA job category was created through the DOS Arbitration Award in 2013, MBA stepped in to ensure that CCAs had an opportunity to save money for their future by establishing the NELC CCA Retirement Savings Plan, tailored specifically for carriers starting their careers. When CCAs are converted to career status, they can keep the account or roll their traditional IRA savings over into the Thrift Savings Plan. The MBA will waive the surrender charge in this incident only. This is your insurance and savings company. You own it, Yates said. Every product we offer today was designed at one point to meet specific requests by letter carriers. MBA's only goal is to serve the needs of its members. We listen to you, and we never stop adapting as your needs change. The focus on members rather than on profit has led to strong financial stability for MBA. Owing to wise investments and to the putting of all its resources into working for its members and not into profits or sales commissions, the MBA's financial position is secure and it continues to offer dividends and interest rates that are above market averages. Options for you or your family. Here's a look at the financial products MBA offers to fit almost every letter carrier or family member's needs. The MBA Retirement Savings Plan. The MBA Retirement Savings Plan is a retirement income plan designed to supplement your pension. You make small payments to the plan while you're young so you can receive a lifetime of monthly payments after you retire even if you live to be 200. You also can request a guaranteed number of monthly payments. You choose the amount you want to contribute to your MBA retirement savings plan. With as little as a one-time $15 payment, you can start your MBA retirement savings plan and never have to make any additional deposits to maintain your policy in force. You also can select your method of payment. MBA can deduct payments automatically from your paycheck, debit your checking or savings account, or bill you monthly or annually. Retirees are not eligible to use payroll deduction. If you choose to use automatic payments, there is a minimum of $15 for bi-weekly payroll deduction and $32.50 for a monthly deduction from a bank account. You also can make a lump sum deposit into the MBA Retirement Savings Plan at any time to help build your plan's value up to the applicable IRS contribution limit. As your MBA Retirement Savings Plan grows, you can expect to earn competitive interest rates. The plan is tax-deferred, which means you do not pay taxes on any of your interest until you draw on it, further improving your yield. 
When you're ready to retire, MBA offers a choice of four ways to collect monthly benefits. Life annuity with period certain. Receive a lifetime of monthly payments. You're guaranteed this income for as long as you live. If you die during a specified period, 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, payments go to your beneficiary until the end of the period. Life annuity. Receive monthly payments through your lifetime. No further benefits will be paid after your death. Joint life annuity. You or your beneficiary receive monthly payments as long as either of you live. Full cash refund. Receive monthly payments as long as you are alive. When you die, the MBA will pay any money in your account to your beneficiary. The MBA Family Retirement Savings Plan The MBA Family Retirement Savings Plan can mean the difference between worry and well-being in your family member's retirement because it is an annuity policy that delivers extra cash to the annuitant every month to supplement the retirement income. A family member, annuitant, can make small contributions now, as little as $25 a month with a $1,000 initial deposit, into an interest-bearing annuity that guarantees above-market returns. The annuitant chooses how much to contribute and how often. The plan has certain tax advantages, depending on the option selected. Best of all, you get all the advantages of your mutual benefit association, dependability, NELC stands behind every policy written by MBA, which was created more than a century ago to give letter carrier families reliable savings and insurance plans. Affordability. MBA operates with low overhead, no fees, and no salespeople on commission, and the savings are passed on to the annuitant. Simplicity. Just fill out an application to join the Family Retirement Savings Plan. The annuitant will receive a policy to examine for 30 days. If the annuitant is not fully satisfied for any reason, return it for a full refund of any premium paid. There's no risk. City Carrier Assistant Retirement Savings Plan The NALC CCA Retirement Savings Plan is a retirement income plan designed for CCAs to supplement your pension. You make small payments to the plan while you're young so you can receive a lifetime of monthly payments after you retire. Under the NELC CCA Retirement Savings Plan, you also can request a guaranteed number of monthly payments. CCAs who participate in the plan may transfer their traditional IRA funds to the Thrift Savings Plan once they become career letter carriers. The surrender charge will be waived in this instance only. Note the Thrift Savings Plan is not set up to receive Roth IRA transfers at this time. You choose the amount you want to contribute to your NELC CCA Retirement Savings Plan, with the minimum amount allowed being $15. You also can select your method of payment. MBA can deduct payments automatically from your paycheck, debit your checking or savings account, or bill you monthly or annually. Retirees are not eligible to use payroll deduction. If you choose to use automatic payments, there is a minimum of $15 for bi-weekly payroll deduction and $32.50 for a monthly deduction from a bank account. With as little as a one-time $15 payment, you can start your NLC CCA Retirement Savings Plan and never have to make any additional deposits to maintain your policy in force. You also can make a lump sum deposit into the NALC CCA Retirement Savings Plan at any time to help build your plan's value up to the applicable IRS contribution limit. As your NALC CCA Retirement Savings Plan grows, you can expect to earn competitive interest rates. The plan is tax-deferred, which means you do not pay taxes on any of your interest until you draw on it, further improving your yield. When you're ready to retire, MBA offers a choice of four ways to collect monthly benefits. Life annuity with period certain. Receive a lifetime of monthly payments. You're guaranteed this income for as long as you live. 
If you die during a specified period, 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, payments go to your beneficiary until the end of the period. Life annuity. Receive monthly payments through your lifetime. No further benefits will be paid after your death. Joint life annuity. You or your beneficiary receive monthly payments for as long as either of you live. Full cash refund. Receive monthly payments as long as you are alive. When you die, the MBA will pay any money in your account to your beneficiary. MBA Immediate Annuity The Mutual Benefit Association has a retirement option called an immediate annuity that is perfect for a retiree. An immediate annuity is when an NLC member gives the MBA a lump sum of money in exchange for a guaranteed income stream starting immediately. This product can be made an important part of a letter carrier's retirement portfolio. This option, along with Social Security proceeds, investments, savings, and pension payments, will help foster a safe and comfortable retirement. One of the defining features of an immediate annuity is that the annuitant may select one of three options. A life annuity that provides equal payments for life, a life annuity with a guaranteed period certain of 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, a joint life annuity that pays equal payments for life. Upon death, your beneficiary would receive annuity payments for life. If you are interested, the MBA will provide a quote with the estimated monthly payment based on the amount invested, the annuitant's current age, and the immediate payout option selection. A principal benefit of an immediate annuity is that you will know how much money you will receive in each payment for the rest of your life. This characteristic will alleviate the stress of an individual outliving their investments. In addition, you will not need to make investment decisions about how to earn a comparable sum of money since the MBA is responsible for the growth of your funds. The MBA is your nonprofit fraternal association providing competitive rates on its products. You will find that the MBA's fixed immediate annuity rates are higher than most of our competitors. The MBA has been been providing high-quality service to our members since 1891. Like all decisions, there are pros and cons to every choice in these matters. A factor to consider is that the money you invest with the immediate annuity cannot be withdrawn or used for another purpose once the annuity proceeds have begun. You should consider your decision carefully and not invest money that you might need for an emergency. Another consideration is that the money invested in an immediate annuity is not available to your heirs except in the case where the annuitant shows a 5, 10, 15, or 20-year guaranteed payment or a joint survivor option. There are different tax advantages for annuity withdrawals and payments based on the type of assets used to purchase the annuity, qualified versus non-qualified. You should consult your tax advisor for information on how annuity taxation applies to your situation. An immediate annuity is a valuable investment option available to our NELC retirees. There are various payment options such as life with period certain as well as joint survivor that minimize the downside to the mortality issue. Each of the options comes with a corresponding monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, or annual payment amount. This is just another way that your MBA is working to provide options for the members. More information. Saving for retirement can be a lot to think about, and sometimes you might want to talk to another letter care for information and guidance. Branches should have a local MBA representative, a letter carrier who understands MBA's financial products and can help you. I advise new members that they should start planning for their retirement as early as possible, said Mark Daniker, the MBA representative for Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Branch 500. There are many options open to them, and the earlier they start, the better their retirement portfolio will be. Daniker advises his branch members to consider MBA products because they're, quote, a good resource because they are very competitive with the open market. 
For more detailed information about MBA's products, brochures, or applications, go to nalc.org MBA or call the MBA office toll-free at 800-424-5184 Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. or call 202-638-4318 Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. all Eastern Time. The MBA provides a wonderful opportunity for letter carriers to obtain savings plans that not only offer good benefits and reasonable rates, but also are administered by letter carriers for letter carriers, President Renfro said. Whether you are just starting out as a carrier, you're working toward retirement, or you're already retired, MBA may have a plan that can serve you and your family. Please look into these offerings to see if any are right for your needs. It might help you establish a measure of financial security to last a lifetime. Hi, I'm Paul Barner, your Executive Vice President, and I'll be reading my October Postal Record column titled, The Letter Carrier Political Fund, Ensuring Your Future. A political action committee, or PAC, is an organization that raises money for the primary purpose of assisting favored candidates in elections and influencing legislation, particularly at the national level. Many organizations and corporations in the United States realize the importance of having their voices and concerns taken seriously by elected officials and therefore establish PACs to further their agendas on pertinent issues. The National Association of Larry Cares is no different. NLC's PAC was created in 1975. At that time, it was known as the Committee on Letter Carrier Political Education, or COLSEP. The PAC started small but it quickly grew and proved to be a crucial component of NALC's war chest in fighting attacks on benefits for both active and retired letter carriers. NALC's ability to affect legislation proved instrumental as exemplified by the passage of the Hatch Act reform. Prior to the reform, active letter carriers were prohibited from participating in nearly all aspects of politics. This reform in 1993 unhatched active letter carriers, opening the door for our members to become active in the political process. Since that reform, our members have repeatedly proven that no union is more active and engaged in the process than NALC. There's no question about the positive impacts that grassroots efforts, hard work, and activism of NALC officers, staff, and our members have made on Capitol Hill in stabilizing the post service and gaining well-deserved benefits for letter carriers. There are many examples of these achievements. One can be found in the passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act, known as FMLA, which affords protections for letter carriers in the event of absences from work related to qualifying conditions. In 2015, COLSEP was changed to the Letter Carrier Political Fund, or LCPF, to better reflect its purpose and mission. Contributions made to the LCPF are used to support candidates who support letter care initiatives, regardless of political affiliation. Almost all issues that affect letter carriers are nonpartisan in nature, as shown by the bipartisan support received on our legislative initiatives Republicans, Democrats, and independents alike receive our support if they support letter carriers. Beginning in the mid to late 2000s, 
There was an onslaught of attacks on the post service and our jobs, fueled primarily by three economic factors that drastically affected the post service's financial stability. The economic recession, the decrease in first-class mail volume, and the mandate to pre-fund future retiree health benefits. The LCPF was a crucial resource in our success with the long-fought battle to achieve post-reform, a monumental step forward in ensuring the financial stability of the post service for the future that included a rollback of the pre-funding mandate and a pure example of our dollars at work. NALC is a powerful union with more than 90% of all letter carriers voluntarily being members. Conversely, less than 10% of our members contribute to LCPF. You, our members, have a long tradition of refusing to stand on the sidelines, but rather taking the fight to those empowered to make change and demanding what is rightfully yours. To that end, NLC must win favor with politicians and provoke their interest to achieve positive legislative outcomes. In simple terms, it comes down to this. The stronger our pack, the stronger our influence. The importance of the LCPF cannot be overstated. NALC has been instrumental in advancing and securing legislation of significant impact to letter carriers. However, we must not rest on our laurels, but rather reinforce our commitment to strengthening our PAC to maintain a strong force in the legislative and political arena as we continue in our pursuit to advance legislation for the benefit of letter carriers. So it really comes down to the stronger our pack, the louder our voice on Capitol Hill, and the more we can get done to benefit letter carriers. So please make your voice loud by contributing to the Letter Carrier Political Fund. For more information or to sign on to become a contributor, please go to the LCPF page at nlc.org forward slash PAC or contact the Department of Legislative and Political Affairs at NLC headquarters at 202-662-2833. By making a contribution to the Lair Care Political Fund, you are doing so voluntarily with the understanding that your contribution is not a condition of membership in the National Association of Lair Cares or of employment by the Post Service, nor is it a part of union dues. You have a right to refuse to contribute without any reprisal, any guideline amounts or merely suggestions, and you may contribute more or less than the guidelines suggest, and the union will not favor or disadvantage you by reason of the amount of your contribution or your decision not to contribute. The Letter Care Political Fund will use the money it receives to contribute to candidates for federal office and undertake other political spending as permitted by law. Your selection shall remain in full force and effect until counseled. Contributions to the Lair Care Political Fund are not deductible for federal income tax purposes. Federal law prohibits the Lair Care Political Fund from soliciting contributions from individuals who are not NELC members, executive and administrative staff, or their families. Any contribution received from such an individual will be refunded to the contributor. Federal law requires us to use our best efforts to collect and report the name, mailing address, 
name of employer, and occupation of individuals whose contributions exceed $200 in the calendar year. Hi, this is Sarah Thomas reading Vice President James D. Henry's October 2023 Postal Record column titled Justice for One is Justice for All. For one letter carrier, in a case we will examine today, justice was a long time coming but did eventually arrive. His diligence and tenacity should serve as an example for carriers to defend the rights of their fellow workers. I am writing this nearly 22 years since the September 11th attacks cited in the ruling John D. Petrie v. United States Postal Service, the day of the deadliest foreign attack on U.S. soil in American history. On August 23rd, just a few days ago, as I pen this column, the Office of Special Counsel, OSC, announced a legal victory in its longstanding effort to obtain relief for Petrie, a Maine Air National Guardsman who was wrongfully denied reinstatement in his Postal Service job following his post-9-11 military duty. Given that this is a monthly magazine, it's difficult to break news contemporaneously, but this is probably as close as I'll get to doing so. The U.S. Merit Systems Protection Board's MSPB ruling is the culmination of a six-year legal battle in which the Postal Service adamantly refused to comply with the Uniformed Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, USERRA. USERRA is a federal law passed in 1994 that protects military service members and veterans from employment discrimination and allows them to regain their civilian jobs following periods of uniformed service. It applies to members of the armed forces, reserves, and National Guard, among others, and covers both public and private employers. OSC, in conjunction with the Department of Labor, DOL, enforces USERRA claims involving federal government employers. Brother Petrie was called to active duty by the Maine Air National Guard immediately following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. While serving, he regularly provided copies of his orders to USPS, maintained his employment benefits, including making retirement contributions and paying his union dues, and repeatedly expressed his desire to return to his postal job once his service ended. USPS gave him no indication that it would not re-employ him. Rather, it sent him letters thanking him for his service and provided him with a debit card to purchase his postal uniform throughout 14 years of active duty service. Upon completion of his service, Petrie was honorably discharged in December 2015. In January 2016, USPS told him that it would not reinstate him because he had, quote, abandoned his civilian employment, even though he met all the law's requirements. Petrie then filed a complaint with the DOL, which found that the USPS had violated USERRA. After USPS refused DOL's request to reinstate Petrie, DOL referred the case to OSC. OSC Special Counsel Henry J. Kerner stated in relevant part, We are pleased with the MSPB's ruling, but remain dismayed that the Postal Service refused to provide Mr. Petrie with any interim relief, as the administrative judge ordered and seemingly exploited the board's lack of a quorum in an attempt to delay justice for Mr. Petrie for as long as possible. We intend to get Mr. Petrie everything he is owed, no matter how long it takes. Federal government employers, especially, must do right by our veterans, and even if the, and if they don't, OSC stands ready to hold them accountable. OSC ordered USPS to re-employ Petrie in his prior position retroactive to 2016 within 20 days pay Petrie the correct amount of wages and benefits lost as a result of its failure to re-employ him, tell Petrie promptly in writing when it determined it had fully carried out the order, 
If Petrie doesn't believe the USPS carried out the order, he can file a petition for enforcement within 30 days. This case is highly significant, both on its own merits in terms of the issues and the behavior of USPS and in the protections it sets out, and because tens of thousands of letter carriers from every part of this country are wearing their second uniform in service to the United States. Along with the ruling's overall importance, I am drawn to the matter on a personal level because it involves a fellow letter carrier and military veteran who spent 14 years defending this country engaged in the global war on terror. I admire the tenacity of Brother Petrie. The USPS violation of his USERRA rights was wrong on so many levels. I salute his honorable service to both the USA and the USPS. This adjudication should inspire each and every one of us to never give up on achieving justice. Hi, this is Nicole Ryan, National Secretary Treasurer. This is my article, Convention 2024, the Convention Call, Amendments, and Resolutions. As announced, the 73rd Biennial Convention of the National Association of Letter Carriers will be held August 5th through 9th, 2024, in Boston, Massachusetts. All branch and state association secretaries are alerted that the convention call and accompanying materials will be mailed from NELC headquarters this month. Delegates. Article 4, Section 1 of the NELC Constitution states, Each branch, having 20 or less members, shall be entitled to one delegate and one vote in the National Convention. Branches having more than 20 members shall be entitled to one delegate and one vote for each 20 members or fraction thereof. Each state association shall be entitled to two delegates at large. National officers and delegates at large shall be entitled to one vote. As defined in Article 4, Section 4 of the NELC Constitution, the number of members for whom per capita taxes paid to the National Association for the term beginning October 1st prior to each biennial convention shall determine the number of votes and delegates to which the branch is entitled at such convention. Please note, the NELC Constitution calls for the election of delegates from branches to be made no later than December of the year preceding the convention year. Please see Article 6, Section 3 of the Constitution for the Government of State Associations for information on the election of delegates at large. Amendments. All proposed amendments submitted for consideration of the delegates at the National Convention in Boston must conform to the provisions of Article 19, Section 2 of the NELC Constitution, which reads as follows. Proposed amendments to the Constitution of the NELC, the Constitution for the Government of Subordinate and Federal Branches, and the Constitution for the Government of State Associations may be presented in writing in the manner herein set forth. A by any member of a branch in good standing, signed by them, at a regular meeting of the branch, providing the proposal is endorsed by two-thirds of the members present and voting at the meeting, and b, by any member of the NELC Executive Council, signed by them, at a regularly called meeting of the Executive Council, provided the proposal is endorsed by two-thirds of the members of the Executive Council present and voting at the meeting. Proposals thus qualifying shall be forwarded to the National Secretary Treasurer in duplicate, each on a separate sheet of paper, at least 60 days prior to the convention, signed by the branch president and secretary, and in the case of the Executive Council, 
by the chairperson and the secretary thereof. These proposed amendments shall be printed in the official journal of this association at least 30 days prior to the National Convention. All proposed amendments to the Constitution and laws shall designate the article and section to be amended and shall be referred to the Executive Council and be reported by them before being acted upon by the Convention. Said word acted to be interpreted as meaning altering, amending, or changing in any manner whatsoever by a majority vote of the Convention. Proposed amendments qualifying for referral to the Convention must be received by the National Secretary-Treasurer by June 5, 2024. Resolutions. All resolutions submitted for consideration of the delegates at the 73rd Biennial Convention in Boston must conform to the provisions of Article 12 of the NELC Constitution, which reads as follows. Any branch in good standing or any state association may, at any time, forward to the National Secretary-Treasurer resolutions properly attested by their President and Secretary-Treasurer for consideration by the appropriate Union authority. Such resolutions must be in duplicate, and each shall be on a separate sheet of paper. Resolutions pertaining to the National Working Agreement, which should, insofar as possible, identify the article and section to be changed, shall be forwarded to the Chief Spokesperson of the NELC Negotiating Team. Those pertaining to legislation shall be forwarded to the NELC Director of Legislation, and all others shall be forwarded to the NELC Executive Council for their consideration and appropriate action. Those appropriate authorities shall report to the National Convention on all such resolutions and the action taken thereon. Any submitted resolution that restates or otherwise reaffirms a resolution approved by a previous convention will not be considered at the National Convention in Boston. Resolutions seeking to amend or rescind a resolution approved by a previous convention are permissible. Only resolutions received by the National Secretary-Treasurer on or before June 5, 2024 will be printed in the Resolutions and Amendments book. Please take note of the requirements for qualification as, on occasion, branches and state associations neglect one or more of them, causing the amendment and or resolution to be returned. Hi, I'm Mac I. Julian your Assistant Secretary-Treasurer. I'll be reading from my October 2023 officer's column entitled, Pay It Forward. On an assignment back to Chicago, I was asked by several members, do you even miss us? I initially laughed, but the truth is that I do miss the daily interaction with the carriers. I was a fixture on the workroom floors within the branch because I believe that is the best way to stay in tune with what's really going on with the membership. I love to hear directly from those who are doing the job every day. Wherever I travel, I ask carriers about their issues in the workplace. Not surprisingly, the answers are consistent everywhere I go. Carriers are being plagued by bad management, general safety, whether it's hostile work environment in the office or dealing with extreme weather and assaults while on the streets, is a source of concern. Most carriers say that management simply does not give a damn. 
The other thing they worry about is the future of the Postal Service. Many veteran carriers express dismay at the next generation of carriers who don't appreciate the job or the service we provide. They say that USPS is not hiring the best candidates and that the attitudes of millennials and Generation Z carriers will be the Postal Service downfall. I agree that the hiring process is flawed. The battery exam and screenings were integral to getting good potential hires. They were eliminated because the service is desperate to hire CCAs at subpar compensation and with no real benefits. When many of us started, it was via the career path. The Postal Service hired us with career benefits and competitive wages. Without that, in this worker's market, USPS is in a no-win situation. This is why the current round of contract negotiations are critical. The letter carrier positions need to be desirable to attract good candidates coming in and remain viable for those who are already on board. Resolving this problem would address the current staffing crisis. As for the generational issue, that is something that letter carriers can help fix. I believe the attitudes of younger letter carriers are no different than those of most of us when we first started. Back then, the baby boomers also thought that we Gen Xers were crazy. While they may have been right, many of them didn't give up on us, which is why we are still here today. Last month, I celebrated my 26th anniversary as a city letter carrier, but I could have easily been gone during my probationary period. Many of us would not have survived if it was not for the senior carriers at the Kesey Grace Post Office on the north side of Chicago. They took us under their wings and provided us with guidance and support. I'm sure that was true for many carriers in other locations as well. I still remember vividly that one morning when I wasn't conducting myself very well in the office, I was acting in a way that deserved some discipline, perhaps even removal. I made some comments to the manager on the workroom floor, rather loudly. Several carriers had to hold me back. The manager said, no, let them go. But they didn't. They took me off the workroom floor to calm down. The manager immediately went to the carrier working next to me, Mrs. Centron, to get a statement. She told him she had her headphones on and heard nothing. I went to her and thanked her. She looked me straight in the eyes and said, I didn't do that for you. I did it because we are letter carriers and we must stick together. But let me tell you, if you keep behaving like that, you won't be here long. She then put her headphones back on and kept working. She was right. I was married with four kids. I couldn't afford to lose my job. Those carriers protected us as best they could from bad management and mentored us on being professional letter carriers. We were taught that there is a difference between delivering mail and providing a service for our customers. They, the customers, should be happy to see you coming. If not, it's likely that you are the problem. Working jointly with the NALC, the Postal Service is piloting the new employee retention program in installations across the country. It is designed to ease new hires into the increasingly demanding job of being a city letter carrier. 
They will be given extensive time with mentors and allowed the opportunity to learn the job effectively. Remember, you don't have to be a mentor to mentor. If you are here today because someone helped you when you started, pay it forward. The future of the service is still in our hands. Thanks again, Mrs. Centron. Hello, this is Stephen Stewart, Assistant to the President for City Delivery, and I'll be reading Director of City Delivery Christopher Jackson's article for the October edition of the Postal Record. As the Postal Service routinely conducts studies and explores new uses for existing technology, I think it's important to share its latest implementation and updates that we have received in City Delivery. Managing Arrow Lock Key Accountability, or MAL. In August, the Postal Service notified me of its intent to implement a new process for managing arrow and modified arrow lock key accountability. In this process, Mobile Delivery Device Technical Refresh, or MDDTR, and Mobile Delivery Device In-Office, or MDDIO scanners, are used to transfer arrow key accountability by scanning employee identification badge and arrow key barcodes. To receive or return an arrow key, a carrier would need to be logged into the MDDTR, select the arrow key management feature from the on-street menu, and select either the receive key or the return key option. Both options prompt a scan of the arrow key barcode and the employee ID badge of the accountable clerk or supervisor. The MDDTR provides workflow options for a carrier, clerk, or management official to review the status of an arrow key through the lookup feature, report an arrow key missing, e.g. lost or stolen, or report an arrow key is damaged. A carrier can look up and report only on keys that they have checked out, while an accountable clerk or supervisor is able to track and report on all arrow keys at their facility. In this new process, a carrier also can transfer an arrow key to another carrier by following the arrow key management workflow and return a key without a clerk or supervisor being present. I have requested a meeting with the Postal Service to discuss these options as they are in conflict with our handbooks and manuals. Lastly, the in-tour timekeeping option is not available on the MDDTR until a carrier completes the process of returning or transferring a key that the carrier has checked out, or until a carrier completes the process of reporting the key lost or stolen. MDD Software Update 7.78 Also in August, USPS detailed an update to the MDDTR, release 7.78. The software update includes enhancements related to certified mail processed into the delivery point sequence or DPS automated mail. Testing of these enhancements began on August 14th and four Florida locations. For this test, when certified mail has been processed into a route's DPS, the scanner will show a green certified mail pending or CM pinned icon in the top left corner after the carrier has completed the login process. The icon lists the number of certified pieces in the DPS for that day. As pieces are attempted or delivered, the remaining total will change to reflect the amount that is still pending. A geofence alert from the MDDTR notifies carriers as they approach a certified mail delivery point. 
a new certified mail incomplete or CM incomp icon will appear on the scanner once the geofence for the delivery point has been broken. This icon lists the number of certified pieces for the address and will remain until a delivery attempt has been completed. This update further includes a certified look ahead feature that displays the list of certified items contained in the day's manifest for an assignment, as well as a certified mail review feature containing a workflow for carriers to provide the status of certified items. With the review feature, carriers can enter a reason they may not have been able to attempt delivery of a certified item listed in the scanner's manifest. Carriers also can scan and deliver a certified item they receive separately from their DPS through the review feature by identifying it as an extra certified mail piece. The MDDTR automatically prompts a carrier to complete a certified mail review when the in-tour option is selected from the timekeeping feature. However, completion of the review is not required for the carrier to end their tour. City carriers should perform their duties as outlined in the M41 and follow the instructions of management. However, if the instructions you receive appear to violate the M41, you should inform your local union representative and, if appropriate, file a grievance. My staff and I will continue to monitor these initiatives and provide updates to the membership. As always, I want to thank all letter carriers for the excellent service you provide to every customer every day. Hello, this is Manny Peralta, your Director of Safety and Health. My October column is on the subject of humane employee treatment. Last month, I wrote about management's treatment of employees in a work location following an employee assistance program presentation. As a follow-up to that article, I want to address the treatment of employees again, but this time with the focus on how management's behavior affects the quality of communication between employee and employer. If you're a good manager treating your employees with dignity and respect, then this month's column is not about you. The NALC thanks you for your efforts to maintain a pleasant work environment, leading employees to do a good job every day. Your treatment of our members allows them to do their best because they are not distracted by fear, anger, or rage. In too many work locations, however, we have supervisors who act like prison guards with their approach serving no useful purpose. They, along with wardens who hire them, should be in the unemployment lines because they create distress, spread fear, and drive good employees away. You can look at the numbers in your office to see how many employees want to transfer out of your station out of your installation, or simply quit working for the post office. During my tenure as National Business Agent of Region 1, California, Nevada, Hawaii, and Guam, I frequently met with local union representatives and their management counterparts in labor management meetings, as defined in Article 17, and as referenced in the National Labor Relations Act. Most of these meetings were prompted by the abusive treatment of employees by a few managers who simply enjoyed hurting others. In one instance, the officers of a large local reached out for help, and the postmaster of that large installation agreed to schedule a meeting with our office. The meeting started with a lot of finger pointing and defensive responses. We asked what management was doing to the employees and why. Management's reaction stunned me. 
Their response was that performance of some employees was so poor that something had to be done about it, and they defended the abusive behavior of their frontline managers. I stunned management with my response. I don't care how poorly an employee performs. Their actions do not and cannot justify your abuse of our employees. If you're dissatisfied with our performance, follow the rules of the contract. Treat employees with dignity and respect and find solutions that will help both union and management in achieving our individual and common goals. No matter what employees do wrong, you do not have the right to handle the issue any way you see fit. The fourth and fifth paragraph of the February 1992 Joint Statement on Violence and Behavior in the Workplace provides as follows. We openly acknowledge that in some places or units, there's an unacceptable level of stress in the workplace, that there is no excuse for and will be no tolerance of violence or any threats of violence by anyone at any level of the Postal Service, and that there is no excuse for and will be no tolerance of harassment, intimidation, threats, or bullying by anyone. We also affirm that every employee at every level of the Postal Service should be treated at all times with dignity, respect, and fairness. The need for the USPS to serve the public efficiently and productively, and the need for all employees to be committed to giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, does not justify actions that are abusive or intolerant. Making the numbers is not an excuse for the abuse of anyone. Those who do not treat others with dignity and respect will not be rewarded or promoted. Those whose unacceptable behavior continues will be removed from their positions. So here's the connection to safety. When your mind is distracted by the behavior of your supervisors in such a way that you are not paying attention to what you are doing and you are not following the safety training you have received, if in fact the training records are true and correct, then it is your manager who is jeopardizing your safety because of how they treat you. If your managers are violating the JSOV, the local union should be investigating and processing necessary grievances on this issue. Shop stewards should read the Dignity and Respect booklet found in the members-only portal of the NALC website, which includes the Joint Statement on Violence and Behavior in the Workplace and more resources to help you. Keep an eye on each other and enforce the Joint Statement on Violence and Behavior. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel Toth, your Director of Retired Members. I'll be reading my October 2023 Postal Record article titled Financial Planners. What is a term used to describe deceptive marketing, fraud, or scam? The answer, snake oil. The Retirement Department has long warned via the postal record at conventions and on the workroom floor about snake oil salespeople. But more work remains. This article should serve as another reminder for those nearing retirement or having retired and considered what they should do with their funds in the Thrift Savings Plan, TSP. Not all financial planners are snake oil salespeople, of course. But most snake oil salespeople refer to themselves as financial planners. 
Before letter carriers move sums of money to a new financial planner or institution, they should seriously consider what the new financial planner or institution stands to gain. Because stockbrokers, financial planners, life insurance purveyors, and other securities salespeople are not required by law to make investment decisions in your financial interest. They can and do make decisions with your money that are not always in your best interest. Understanding how the financial planner benefits from your business is critical. Several questions, when answered in writing and signed by the salespeople, will help give one the necessary information to make an informed decision. These questions are, what is the average net expense I will pay for every $1,000 invested? What additional annual fees, commissions, or charges will I pay for investments? What profit do you make if I invest with you? Do you have a responsibility, fiduciary obligation, to put my interest ahead of your own? Will your plan protect my retirement funds from creditors' claims? When I retire, can I receive a series of scheduled withdrawals without giving up control of my account? Can I change my investments or take withdrawals without being subject to surrender fees or back-end charges? Of course, when making a decision to withdraw your money from the TSP, you also should consider the benefits of remaining in the TSP. A primary consideration related to any fund is the cost. The TSP has long had some of the lowest expense rates. The costs have increased slightly over the years, and more competitors are catching up and offering similarly low expense ratios. The TSP remains a good deal and worth consideration. Currently, the total expense ratios for the G, C, I, F, and S funds are at 0 0.057%, 0.059%, 0.064%, 0.078%, and 0.090%, respectively. The ability to make and change withdrawals, as well as the question of what happens to your account upon death, are other important considerations. The TSP allows partial and total withdrawal, the purchase of annuities, and automatic withdrawals or installments. Upon a death, the TSP follows the statutory order of precedence by default, but participants can always designate specific beneficiaries. Carriers should be on alert if you receive a solicitation at your post office by a financial planner or salesperson. This could be a letter addressed to you at the office, a telephone call, or even worse, an in-person solicitation. Apparently, some supervisors are persuaded or think it's okay to allow outside solicitors and salespeople onto the workroom floor to pitch their financial planning. Do not be fooled into thinking that they are selling a postal-approved plan or service. In fact, this type of outside solicitation is prohibited in the Postal Operations Manual, POM, POM Section 124.54 states in part, 124.54 soliciting, electioneering, collecting debts, vending, and advertising. These regulations apply to the following activities. A. Commercial solicitation and the display or distribution of commercial advertising on postal premises are prohibited. C. Solicitations and other actions that are prohibited by 124.5 or A when conducting on postal service property should not be directed by mail or telephone to postal employees on postal service property. 
The Postal Service will not accept or distribute mail or accept telephone calls directed to its employees when such contacts are believed to be in contrary to 124.54a. I'd like to remind all active employees, whether freshly converted to career, already seasoned, or even on the verge of retirement, to contribute to your TSP. Everyone should be sure to contribute at least 5% to receive the maximum matching contributions from the Postal Service. Contributing as much as you can and as early as possible will allow compounding interest to work its miracle. Additionally, the contribution limit for the TSP will once again increase. In 2024, the limit will increase by $500 to $23,000, while the catch-up contribution limit will remain at $7,500. Hi, I'm Jim Yates, NALC Director of Life Insurance. Today, I'll be reading my October officer's column titled, Privacy Practices. In last month's article, we covered the information security procedures of the Mutual Benefit Association, the MBA. This month's article covers our privacy practices. MBA is a covered entity within the meaning of the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, commonly known as HIPAA. Under HIPAA, MBA is legally required to provide all participants with notice of our legal duties and privacy practices with respect to protected health information, PHI. MBA policy owners receive this information by mail each summer. The MBA is considered a hybrid entity because not all of the benefits offered by MBA are covered by HIPAA privacy protections. PHI includes any individually identifiable information that relates to a member's physical or mental health, health care received or payment for health care, including name, address, date of birth, and social security number. The notice of privacy practices describes how medical information about a member may be used and disclosed and how the member can get access to this information. MBA is legally required to maintain the privacy of a member's PHI. The primary purpose of our privacy practices notice is to describe the legally permitted uses and disclosures of PHI, some of which may not apply to MBA in practice. The notice also describes a member's right to access and control PHI. Permitted Uses and Disclosures We use and may disclose a member's PHI in connection with receiving treatment, our payment for such treatment, and for healthcare operations. Generally, we will make every effort to disclose only the minimum necessary amount of PHI to achieve the purpose of the use or disclosure. Treatment This means the provision, coordination, or management of healthcare. While we do not provide treatment, we may use or disclose PHI to support the provision, coordination, or management of care. For example, we may disclose PHI to an individual responsible for coordinating the member's healthcare, such as a spouse or adult child. Payment. This means activities in connection with processing claims for healthcare. We may need to use or disclose PHI to determine eligibility for coverage, medical necessity, and for utilization review activities. For example, we could disclose PHI to physicians engaged by the MBA for their medical expertise to help determine eligibility for coverage. We may disclose PHI to third parties who are known as business associates and who perform various activities for us. In such circumstances, we will have a written contract with the business associate, 
which requires the business associate to protect the privacy of PHI. We also may disclose PHI and dependents PHI on explanation of benefits, EOB forms, and other payment-related correspondence which are sent to the member. PHI may also be disclosed to the trustees in connection with appeals that are filed following the denial of a benefit claim or a partial payment. In addition, any trustee may receive PHI if a member requests that the trustee assist in filing or perfecting a claim for benefits. Trustees may also receive PHI if necessary for them to fulfill their fiduciary duties with respect to the MBA. Such trustees must agree not to use or disclose PHI other than as permitted in this notice or as required by law, not to use or disclose the PHI with respect to any employment-related actions or decisions or with respect to any other benefit plan maintained by the trustees. We may disclose PHI to anyone whom a member may authorize. Contact the MBA to obtain a copy of the appropriate form to authorize the people who may receive this information. We may disclose PHI to your personal representative in accordance with the applicable state law or the HIPAA privacy rule. A personal representative is someone authorized by court order, power of attorney, or is the parent of a child in most cases. In addition, a personal representative can exercise your personal rights with respect to PHI. We may use or disclose a member's PHI to the extent that we are required to do so by federal, state, or local law. The member will be notified, if required by law, of any such use or disclosures. In addition to not disclosing PHI, MBA is bound not to disclose any personal, private information about a member without the written consent of that member. To see the entire notice of privacy practices, please visit nalc.org backslash MBA and click on privacy practices near the bottom of the page. For information regarding any of the MBA products, please call the MBA office toll-free at 800-424-5184, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., or call 202-638-4318, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also visit our website at nalc.org backslash MBA. Hi, this is Stephanie Stewart, your Director of Health Benefits. And for my October officers column, I would like to talk about rights and responsibilities. As a member of the NELC Health Benefit Plan, you have many rights, including the privacy and confidentiality of your personal health information, up-to-date information about your health benefit plan, courteous and respectful treatment, and a right to be heard or appeal a decision, and much more. As a member of the plan, you also have many responsibilities, including reading all the information that the plan provides, accepting responsibility for charges not covered by the plan, treating healthcare providers and their staff respectfully and honestly, and providing the plan with information to accurately process claims. A full list of these rights and responsibilities can be found on nalchbp.org under the About Us tab. If you have not done so, I encourage you to read this section and become familiar with the details. Please understand that I am not overlooking your member rights or minimizing their importance with this column, 
but I want to focus on some areas of responsibility to help our members prevent potential problems. First, let's talk about changes in family coverage status and eligibility. Only those individuals who are identified as qualified dependents are eligible to be on your policy. Qualified dependents are determined by the employing agency, but in doing so, the agency must follow the guidelines established in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, or FEB, as it must follow the guidelines established in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, and it must verify eligibility. Circumstances can change after eligibility is initially established, so you should be aware of the following. If you are divorced or become divorced, you may not continue to maintain a former ex-spouse on your policy or use benefits under a former spouse's enrollment. If a court has ordered health care coverage provision to the former spouse within the final decree, this will not extend eligibility to the former spouse on your fee policy. In this case, you will need to contact the employing office to get additional information about other coverage choices available for purchase. Also, though the plan is unable to change a member's file without direction from the employing agency, it is very important to notify the plan when a divorce has been finalized. Upon receipt of the final divorce decree, which includes the judge's signature, the plan will document your file and discontinue processing the former spouse's claim while we wait for updated information from the employing office. Keep in mind, you will need to continue to work with the employing office after notifying us. We cannot implement enrollment code changes without the proper paperwork, and in some cases, this may affect your monthly premium. In addition to divorce, you must tell us immediately of changes in family member status, including marriage, annulment, and birth. Some of these may require eligibility verification through the employing office and or necessitate a change in plan type and premium payments. Another area of responsibility is other coverage notification and retirement. You must tell us if a family member has coverage under any other health plan or automobile insurance that pays health care expenses without regard to fault. This includes Medicare enrollment. When you have other coverage, one plan normally pays its benefits in full as the primary payer and the other plan pays a reduced benefit as the secondary payer. In order for us to process claims accurately, we need to know when other coverage is in effect. When you retire, you should notify the plan as it may change the other coverage payment or coordination of benefits. Also, be mindful of your eligibility before you retire. Generally, you must have been enrolled in the FEEB program for the last five years of your federal service to continue enrollment. Don't forget that if you are an annuitant and you cancel your FEEB coverage, you may not re-enroll in the FEEB program. Your responsibilities matter. If we overpay for any of the above reasons, the plan must make diligent efforts to recover benefit payments made in error, but in good faith. Unfortunately, this leaves a member financially responsible. So please follow the advice I have provided, and most importantly, review the full member rights and responsibilities page. Another check and balance I recommend 
is to review your 1095B tax form each year. This form will reflect all dependents covered on your policy. If there is a discrepancy, notify your employing agency immediately. Until next month, take care. Hi, this is Special Assistant to the President, Michelle McQuality, and I'll be reading Contract Talk, found on page 35 of the October Postal Record. Letter Carrier Rights During an Investigation From time to time, letter carriers may be required to participate in different types of investigations conducted either by Postal Service Management, agents of the USPS Inspection Service, or agents of the USPS Office of Inspector General. Exercising the right to union representation during an investigatory interview is one of the most important ways letter carriers can protect themselves during an investigation. This month's contract talk will explain this right, as well as the different types of warnings letter carriers might receive when they are questioned during an investigation. The rights to representation during an investigation. The rights to representation during an investigatory interview, known as Weingarten rights, were established by the Supreme Court in the landmark case NLRB v. J. Weingarten, U.S. Supreme Court, 1975. These rights are applicable regardless of which entity is conducting the investigation. There are a few things letter carriers should keep in mind regarding Weingarten rights and when they apply. First, Weingarten rights apply only when the employee reasonably believes that discipline could result from the investigatory interview. Whether or not an employee's belief is reasonable depends on the circumstances of each case. Second, they do not apply when management calls in a carrier for the purpose of issuing disciplinary action. Letter carriers who are issued a written disciplinary notice should request to speak to a shop steward immediately upon receiving the discipline. Additionally, only the employee can invoke these rights. The shop steward cannot exercise these rights on an employee's behalf. There is no legal requirement placed on the Postal Service to inform employees of their wine garden rights. If letter carriers believe that discipline could result from an interview, they should read the following statement before the meeting starts. If this discussion could in any way lead to my being disciplined or terminated or affect my personal working conditions, I respectfully request that my union representative, officer, or steward be present at this meeting. Without my union representative present, I respectfully choose not to answer any questions or participate in this discussion. Once a steward has been provided, letter carriers have the right to a pre-interview consultation with their representative before being interviewed by management. This right also is available in interviews with postal inspectors or OIG agents. The steward will provide the carrier with guidance in the pre-interview consultation and also will take an active role during questioning. Finally, Weingarten rights allow the shop steward to be an active participant in the meeting. It would be a violation of these rights if management instructed the shop steward to remain silent during the interview. Since Section 665.3 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, ELM, requires all postal employees to cooperate with postal investigations, the Postal Service may take disciplinary action against employees if they fail to cooperate during a normal investigatory interview that does not cross the threshold into a criminal investigation. This would appear to put the employee in an impossible situation. 
Should an employee answer questions even if the answers may result in criminal charges? Or should the employee refuse to answer, risking the possibility of discipline for failure to cooperate in an investigation? If letter carriers are asked to participate in interviews or questioning conducted by the Postal Inspection Service or the OIG, there are additional rights and warnings that help to resolve these impossible situations. Postal inspectors and OIG agents are federal law enforcement officers and have the authority to investigate incidents and the power to arrest where criminal prosecution may result. Under Article 17, Section 3 of the National Agreement, letter carriers have the right to be accompanied by a shop steward or union representative when being questioned by the inspection service. Article 17, Section 3 states in pertinent part, If an employee requests a steward or union representative to be present during the course of an interrogation by the inspection service, such request will be granted. When being interviewed by agents of the inspection service or the Office of the Inspector General, letter carriers may receive one of three warnings. Because these agents are law enforcement officers, the law requires them to give either a Garrity, Calkinds, or Miranda warning. These warnings are generally given when an agency is investigating a criminal matter, so employees who receive one should take the matter very seriously. If the warning is given in writing, the letter carrier should carefully read what is written before signing the form. The Garrity warning does afford the letter carrier the right to remain silent, but also allows the federal law enforcement officers to use statements provided by suspects in both administrative and criminal investigations. An example of a Garrity warning may read like this. You are being asked to provide information as part of an internal and or administrative investigation. This is a voluntary interview and you do not have to answer questions if your answers would tend to implicate you in a crime. No disciplinary action will be taken against you solely for refusing to answer questions. However, the evidentiary value of your silence may be considered in administrative proceedings as part of the facts surrounding your case. Any statement you do choose to provide may be used as evidence in criminal and or administrative proceedings. The Kalkine's warning explains that a letter carrier is required to make statements and cooperate even if it could lead to disciplinary action or discharge. This warning does, however, provide criminal immunity for any statements given. The exact wording of a Kalkine's warning may vary slightly. However, an example could read something like this. You are being questioned as part of an internal and or administrative investigation. You will be asked several specific questions concerning your official duties, and you must answer these questions to the best of your ability. Failure to answer completely and truthfully may result in disciplinary action, including dismissal. Your answers and any information derived from them may be used against you in administrative proceedings. However, neither your answers nor any information derived from them may be used against you in criminal proceedings except if you knowingly and willfully make false statements. The most well-known warning is Miranda. Most people are familiar with this warning from watching crime programs on television. The Miranda warning is, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to have an attorney present before any questioning. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to represent you before any questioning. 
Once a Miranda warning is given, anything letter carriers say can be used in a court of law to try to prove their guilt. If you are given this warning, you should consult with an attorney before answering any questions. Postal inspectors and OIG agents often present APS Form 1067, Warning and Waiver of Rights, and request that employees sign it. By signing this form, postal employees waive their Miranda rights. Letter carriers should not sign PS Form 1067 without first consulting with an attorney. If you do sign APS Form 1067, anything said from that point forward can be used against you in a court of law. If letter carriers are given any of these warnings, and there is reason to believe that the carriers may be subject to criminal prosecution, they should immediately consult with an attorney, in addition to exercising the right to have a steward present under the Weingarten Rule. For more information on Weingarten rights and the warnings mentioned above, please see the 2023 Letter Carrier Resource Guide on the NALC website or contact your shop steward or branch officer. On page 37 is the MDA report by Christina Vela-Davidson, read by Mike Shea. NALC and MDA. NALC and the Muscular Dystrophy Association, MDA, have been partners for more than seven decades, and that relationship has continued to grow in all of those years. I recently received this thank you from MDA, and I wanted to share it with you, brothers and sisters, because MDA is really thanking you for all that you do to deliver the cure. When our partnership began more than 70 years ago, no one imagined the incredible impact our work together would have on the futures of MDA families, NELC, and the entire neuromuscular disease community. Throughout the years, NELC branches and leadership became part of the MDA family and simultaneously were side-by-side -side with families as they grew older and more independent. In 1952, NELC became MDA's first national sponsor and declared MDA their official charity. Since that time, NELC has raised more than $20 million through annual fundraising campaigns that support MDA's mission, including bullathons, golf events, MDA muscle walks, letter writing campaigns, and more. In 2022 alone, NELC raised over $875,000, and for that we extend our most sincere gratitude. Thank you, NELC. Thanks again for your continuous hard work helping to deliver the cure. Remember, by supporting MDA, you enhance letter carriers' public image, boost members' morale, and draw positive attention to NELC. Also remember, NELC slash MDA allocations must be turned in the same calendar year as the event, no later than December 28th, to qualify for the NELC honor roll for that year. All raised funds must be sent to the National MDA office in Chicago at Muscular Dystrophy Association, Inc., attention NELC, P.O. Box, 7410354, Chicago, Illinois, 60674-0354. Branch Challenge. October marks our final NELC slash MDA Branch Challenge of 2023. Join more than 200 NELC branches, state associations, and regions that have already raised more than $620,000 this year. Raise funds this month to support MDA's mission and continue the momentum other branches have started. MDA Summer Camp was a huge success thanks in part to sponsors like NALC. Last year, the October Branch Challenge raised a little more than $120,000. Can we beat that this year and raise $130,000? October 2023 would be our best month since the onset of the pandemic way back in 2020. How Your Branch Can Get Involved Step 1. 
Branch presidents or MDA coordinators can find their branch page at mda.donordrive.com slash event slash NELC 2023. Need help finding or customizing your page? Connect with me at 312-392-1100 or NELC at mdausa.org. Step 2. Fundraise. Encourage members to fundraise or donate by starting a Facebook fundraiser on October 1st, hosting an event, or sending in your donation form from an event that has just been completed. Branch Challenge Details Contest Dates October 1st through October 31st, 2023 Each week in October, top 10 NLC fundraising branches will receive email recognition. At the end of October, those branches that raise $500 or more with an online fundraising campaign will receive special prizes. Offline Gifts all checks and offline gifts received in October will count toward the branch challenge. Be sure to download the NALC down donation allocation card and mail donations to MDA, attention, NALC October Challenge, P.O. Box 7410354, Chicago, Illinois 60674-0354. Thanks for all that you do to support MDA and our mission. Hi, I'm Holly Feldman-Winsek, your research director. I'll be reading my October staff report titled Uni Rising Together. August was a month of global solidarity for NALC. Representatives from Uni Global Union, the global federation of unions with which NALC is affiliated, participated in several important events that it organized. Uni brings together service sector workers from more than 150 countries to help them achieve better jobs and better lives. NALC belongs to UNI's post and logistics sector, along with many other unions that represent national postal systems in their home countries, as well as some unions that represent workers employed by private delivery companies such as UPS, DHL, and Amazon. NALC's affiliation with UNI demonstrates our commitment to standing in solidarity with our sister and brother workers, no matter which company they work for or in which country they reside. It is also a great source of information sharing, particularly among unions in our sector. NALC hosted our sectoral sister unions for meetings of two post and logistics committees at our headquarters building in Washington, D.C., August 23rd and 24th. On the first day, the World Post and Logistics Committee discussed privatization of the postal sector in the European Union, as well as UNI's working agreement with the Universal Postal Union a specialized agency of the United Nations that coordinates postal policies among member nations, in addition to the worldwide postal system. One of the most interesting sessions was about efforts to organize last-mile drivers at private companies such as Amazon in the United States, Canada and Italy, DHL in several African countries, and JADLOG in Brazil. National postal systems around the world are all seeing increased competition from new delivery companies. On the second day, the America's Post and Logistics Committee discussed issues concerning postal unions in North and South America. Topics included postal worker health and safety, the increase in gig work in the sector, and the challenge of automation. The meeting also included an information session about a pension crisis that Brazilian postal workers are facing due to the alleged financial mal malpractice of one of their pension managers, the American Bank. BNY Mellon. Next, four NALC staffers traveled to Philadelphia to attend the UNI World Women's Congress August 25th and 26th. 
Throughout the conference, we heard the powerful voices of women leaders in the global labor movement speak candidly about the importance of gender equality in the workplace, the urgent need to combat violence against women, the specific health and safety needs of women at work, and the value of including young women's voices in the labor movement. Finally, several NALC staffers, Secretary-Treasurer Nicole Ryan and President Brian L. Renfro, represented the union at the Uni Global Congress in Philadelphia, August 27th through 30th. The Global Congress is held every four years and, much like the NALC convention, functions to set the agenda for the Federation for the next several years through the passage of resolutions and strategic work plans. Union representatives from more than 400 unions in 109 countries joined together to pass resolutions asserting workers' rights to collective bargaining, healthy and safe workplaces, decent work in a global economy that is rapidly changing due to technology, and work that is not managed by algorithm or other digital interface, such as artificial intelligence. Delegates also affirmed the labor movement's commitment to achieving gender equality, building a sustainable future, fighting racism and other forms of discrimination, and holding corporations accountable for their actions. The World Congress also featured thoughtful and inspiring guest speakers who share UNI's moral commitment to defend workers and fight for a better world for all. One standout speaker was Maurice Mitchell, National Director of the Working Families Party in the United States, who spoke earnestly about the power of solidarity, even when we do not, and in many cases cannot, understand each other's unique experiences. It is not enough to superficially promise solidarity. It is a commitment that must be built and reinforced. Brother Mitchell's keynote spoke to the World Congress theme, Rising Together. Throughout the entire week plus of uni events in both Washington and Philadelphia, this theme resonated. Workers from national postal systems rise when last mile delivery drivers from Amazon rise up for fair wages and working conditions. Women in the United States rise when women in Morocco rise up against workplace violence. As Mitchell said, the bosses know that when the working class is in conflict with one another, they win. When workers see the victories of workers as our own, we win. Hi, I'm Corey Blaylock Keller, your chief of staff. I'll be reading my staff report titled, Our Place in the Labor Movement. Unions are having a moment. Having worked in the labor movement in Washington, D.C. for more than 20 years, I feel the energy and momentum. In his president's message, President Renfro mentioned examples of labor showing up for one another. The idea of your fight is my fight is the labor movement's guiding force. When I began lobbying on Capitol Hill, in some rooms there was outright disdain for unions. There were misconceptions about whom we represent, how we work, who pays for it, what we do, or more accurately, misunderstanding of what we don't do. But in every misconception was an opportunity to correct the record. Not everyone gets it. We still find ourselves educating some on Capitol Hill and elsewhere. But every teaching opportunity opened a door. Eventually, the number of open doors allowed us to celebrate the enactment of the Postal Service Reform Act in 2022. Now, more than a year later, we have a lot of open doors, new friends and allies. We find ourselves uniquely positioned to advance other priorities, which you can read about in News from Washington every month in this magazine. We also find ourselves in a pre-2024 election landscape, which affects how those doors may swing open and closed. 
We have built something powerful and it's incumbent on us to keep those doors open to advance current and future priorities while continuing to build power for our members from the workroom floor to the bargaining table to the White House. The question then becomes, how do we leverage what we have built to strengthen not only NALC, but also other unions in their fights? A poll released by the AFL-CIO last month found that 88% of Americans aged 30 or younger approved of unions, emphasizing the strength of the future of labor. Similarly, a majority believe unions are having a positive impact on workplace safety, better pay, benefits, and the economy. And 75% support workers in the private sector going on strike. The public recognizes the value of worker protection through collective bargaining. In August, the Department of Treasury's Office of Economic Policy released the report, Labor Unions and the Economy, which highlighted the benefits unions have on the economy. The report was a result of the White House Task Force on Worker Organizing and Empowerment, which was convened with members of the labor movement following the election of President Joe Biden, and which is chaired by Vice President Kamala Harris. The task force set out to advance worker-friendly priorities, such as the Richard Trumka Protecting the Right to Organize Act to promote collective bargaining. The Treasury report, which is the first of its kind from the agency, found that unions increase workers' wages by an average of 10 to 15%. By improving retirement plans, workplace grievance policies, and predictable schedules, unions boost the financial stability of the middle class and in turn the stability of the economy. Unions produce safer and more diverse workplaces while boosting working productivity. In addition, the report outlined both legislative and administrative actions to build the labor movement, such as passage of the PRO Act and corresponding public sector freedom to negotiate act, increased funding for the National Labor Relations Board, promotion of prevailing wage required by the Inflation Reduction Act, the use of existing authority within agencies to increase awareness on collective bargaining, increased tracking of agency spending on union organizing by the Department of Labor's Office of Labor Management Standards, the informal establishment of a service for newly organized workers and their employers, and the exploring of potential changes in the tax code to eliminate tax breaks for employers engaged in union busting. Worker protection is clearly a popular concept and one that NALC succeeds at. Protection is the reason our union is organized at more than 94%. This is our union's power and our strength. Protection at all levels is what we do. We can't allow anyone to be left behind in our union or in the larger labor movement. It's why we engage with the Postal Service on many initiatives, why we show up in Bessemer, Alabama for Amazon workers attempting to organize why we join rallies and picket lines across the country, and why we stand in solidarity with all workers. Even so, fighting for letter carriers' interests remains priority number one. Every time I step into a room of stakeholders, whether it be business, labor, or politicians, I'm humbled by the respect that exists for our members and our leaders around the country. I'm grateful to serve this union while we navigate every challenge and every success vital to our mission. Hi, this is Ed Morgan. Assistant to the President for Administrative Affairs, and this is my staff report for the Postal Record, October 2023, entitled, You Are the Current Resident Podcast. Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, are usually the first words you will hear on the NALC's revamped, You Are the Current Resident Podcast. The podcast is hosted by me, Assistant to the President for Administrative Affairs, Ed Morgan, and President Brian L. Renfro. For those of you who have never listened to a podcast before, think of it as a talk show without the video. 
You are the current resident takes on the hot topics, issues, and concerns that are on the minds of letter carriers. In recent episodes, we have talked about contract negotiations, crime against letter carriers, heat illness prevention training, Medicare integration, USPS sorting and delivery centers, or SNDCs, the morning routine of dealing with management, and the route adjustment process. To give you a behind-the-curtain peek into the process, President Renfro and I decide on a topic for an upcoming show. I research the topic by reading everything we have put out on the issue. I then talk to our NALC headquarters letter carrier staff, who deal with that specific topic day in and day out. I then reach out to our network of rank-and-file members throughout the country and see what questions they have heard on the workroom floor about the issue we are going to discuss. After all that, I put my questions together in a way intended to educate and inform our members on that topic. We try our best to frame each issue so that our members, from the newest to the most experienced, come away with information they can use and share with our other members. We have an Ask the Mailbag segment each week where members can ask a question they think I missed, ask a question about a different topic, or give us ideas on what they want to hear about next. You can submit your questions to the podcast by emailing it to social at NALC.org. Please be sure to provide your name and branch so we know where our members are listening from. We will have special guests on from time to time so we can go deeper into a topic than just my questions, as well as provide additional experiences and perspectives. So far, we've had Chicago, Illinois Branch 11 President Elise Foster on to talk about criminal assaults on her members. Special Assistant to the President Doug Leap to discuss the relocation process with the SNDCs, and AFL-CIO President Liz Schuler to speak about the progress of the labor movement. President Renfro and I have worked together for more than eight years and have been friends for just as long. Our vision of the podcast is that the rank-and-file membership get the information they need right from the president's mouth without it seeming like a lecture. We want to feel like you are eavesdropping on two carriers at their cases talking about a subject, and one just happens to be the national president. You might from time to time hear about our favorite sports teams, what happened since the last podcast, and all the great eateries around the country, although the last part will mostly be for my end. We need your help to get the most out of the podcast that we can. We need you to listen, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have never listened to a podcast before, ask one of your tech-savvy co-workers to help you find it and give it a listen. I humbly ask that you share it with your friends on the workroom floor so they can better help themselves with the information and education provided. The podcast is released every Sunday morning so you have plenty of time to listen before your favorite murder mystery, comedy, or historical podcast come out. Our union is always stronger when more of us are involved and know about the hot topics of today. The podcast is another avenue to get the information out to you as fast as possible in these ever-changing days. Since I started this article with the beginning line of the podcast, I will leave you with our closing line. May your steward be at your side, and may the union have your back.